This is episode 81 with strength and conditioning coach, contributor to health publications like T Nation and Women's Health, owner of the gym Core in Brookline, Massachusetts, and former cross-country runner, Mr. Tony Gentlecore. Runners, we're going to get out of our comfort zones today. 2018 is the year of strength, and I've been encouraging you to think differently about strength training this year. It's not cross-training, it's just part of how runners train. This year, I've interviewed strength and conditioning coaches, talked with pro runners about their relationship to weightlifting, how to combine lifting and running for best results, shared case studies of runners who have used lifting weights to achieve their goals, and exposed some of the conventional wisdom around strength work for runners to be not so wise. Today, I'm bringing back one of our most popular guests from 2017, strength coach Tony Gentlecore. Tony's a former collegiate baseball player. He graduated magna cum laude from SUNY Cortland with a degree in health education and a concentration in health and wellness promotion. He worked as a personal trainer for several years in New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, my home state, big shout out before opening a sports performance gym with two other trainers that has grown into probably the foremost baseball training facility on the East Coast. His work has appeared in T Nation, the Boston Herald, Men's Health, Bodybuilding.com, Women's Health, and many others. And in this conversation, Tony is helping us demystify the deadlift, an exercise that I think is one of the most important for runners, but often misunderstood. We're also going to talk about proper form when lifting, body asymmetries, and when you can start bending or even breaking some rules in the weight room. If you're someone who's often injured or maybe you've hit a performance plateau and you can't seem to continue to improve, or maybe you're someone who just wants every advantage to potentially glimpse their potential as a runner, a formal strength training program is going to transform your running. Head on over to strengthrunning.com strength to get our free series on lifting mistakes, what benefits you can expect, more case studies, example movements, and a lot more. I think you're going to love it. Without further ado, please welcome our guest, Mr. Tony Gentlecore. Thanks again for taking some time to hang out with me. Oh, no worries. My pleasure. All these runners who need to do more strength training. Oh, man. Is it getting any better out there? It, it is, actually. I, I think the, the tide is turning in the running community, and more runners are finally recognizing that strength training is a must, not just a nice-to-do. I'm very happy to hear that because it's, uh, it's, a, it's a hard battle sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And admittedly, we just want to go running. That's what we love to do. Yeah. But yeah. I try to tell my runners all the time that the strength training enables the running. Yeah. If you really want to keep running, run well, run a lot it definitely helps to get in the gym and do the strength work. So yeah. uh, I'm excited you're here. This this is going to be interesting. I want to talk about a bunch of different things with you. Um, I, I also hope that this isn't a podcast that makes you want to voluntarily commit yourself to Azkaban prison, Tony. Oh, I, I it won't be. <laughs> like, I know there's, you know, like this is one that I, I've been on. I, I think this is probably... I think it's either two or three times now. You know, I did one a couple week, weeks ago with Lisa, my wife. Um, she's a better judge of an interviewer's uh, um, prowess than I am. But even that we've done a few together where it's just like, it's kind of like pulling teeth where like interviewers ask like open-ended questions and it's just like, 
don't know. The more the more I do, the more I'm like, man, I, why did I do that one? I, I need to do a better job of learning to say no, which is a which is a hard skill to master. Oh, it's probably the skill to master, isn't it? Yeah. Especially yeah. now that pop up Julian is showing up all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> you be man that that. That took off, man. I, I think the, the when I travel, I think that's the one thing that most people bring up now. Like when I present, uh, they they always bring up Papa Julian, and I'm like, it's hard to believe that something so stupid uh, <laughs> could piece people's interests. You know, it's just well, like, well, it's it's awesome because it shows your personality. It yeah, shows yeah. a different side to Tony Gentlecore, and you're not just you know, you're not just a strength coach, you're, you're a yeah. dad and you have a sense of humor and people enjoy yeah. that and appreciate it. And that's why I do it. Like, you know, it's, it was, it's more so, it's more so for my family, uh, of course, but, uh, but yeah, it's definitely, I, I definitely like to pr- show people I'm not just, uh, I don't eat, breathe and drink strength and conditioning all the time, which is, which I think is important. All right. With that said, let's talk about strength and conditioning. All right, let's do it. <laughs> so, yeah, well, one of the reasons why I want to talk to you is, you know, I know often that running coaches and strength coaches are sometimes just speaking different languages, but I always learn something new when I talk to a strength coach and I try to pull in many of those principles that I learn from the strength world into my own coaching practice. So, you know, that's why runners listening, we're going to be talking about deadlifts and strength training today. Uh, You're probably sick and tired of hearing me say that I don't even consider strength training cross training. It's just part of the training that you have to do as a runner. So Tony, Uh, You're fresh off this 30 Days of Deadlifts project where you filmed 30 days worth of videos on the deadlift on Instagram, and since I'm a deadlift fanboy, knowing how valuable they are for runners, I really want to talk to you about this. Can you kind of sum it up for us? What was your your goal for this project? Well, selfishly, I did it for a few reasons. I've been trying to think about uh, uh, refreshing my website. I need to do a better job of repurposing my content. So why don't I do this 30 days of deadlifts on Instagram? Because number one, like that that's a a strong suit of mine. Like I, I feel like I'm a I'm a pretty good deadlifter. I know how to coach the deadlifts. So why don't I do 30 days of deadlifts? And then I can use that content to put it on my Instagram, of course, but then I could repurpose it later uh, for my website when I want to uh, build my email list. So I'll say, here's 30 days of deadlifts for thank you for signing up and giving me your email. Um, so selfishly, that was the main reason. I just wanted to figure out a way of how I could repurpose my my content. Um, but also, I you know the, the other reason was because I, I wanted to put out good content uh, and and kind of give people my thought process on deadlift technique, deadlift mistakes, deadlift programming, troubleshooting, etc. Uh, and it was it was received well. Like I thought. Uh, um, people enjoyed it. The once I was complete with it, um, you know, when, and I, I started presenting and doing my traveling again. Like people was like, "Oh, I watched your 30 Days of Deadlifts. I got a lot out of it. I sent it to a lot of my clients and a lot of my friends." Um, so yeah, it, 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 it ended up being a pretty cool thing. T Nation picked it up. They wanted to repurpose it. Um, so yeah, all in all, it was, it was a big success. Now we got to figure out a way to do it with squats or bench pressing or something, but I'm not a very good bench presser. So maybe I, maybe I shouldn't. (laughs) Well, uh, (laughs) I I think it was interesting that you did the deadlift. And, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you is that I think the deadlift is not only a really, really beneficial exercise for runners, but uh, it's often an exercise that 
is sometimes maligned or thought of as a very dangerous exercise. Um, you know, just picking up a lot of weight off the floor. I think, you know, I grew up knowing that, you know, you shouldn't pick weight up off the floor. You're going to hurt your back. Why do you think so many people think that deadlifting is a dangerous exercise to do? Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, I, I, I think the big impetus for that is a lot of people view the deadlift as what they see on YouTube. Uh, they see uh, people lifting heavy a heavy barbell off the ground and they automatically assume that that is the deadlift. And it is. Like, that is the exercise. Um, however, uh, in, from a, from a base standpoint, really all a deadlift is, is, is dissociating hip movement from lumbar movement, hinging from the hips, uh, with minimal knee bend. Uh, so really anything that where you bend at your hips and, and pick something up off the ground is a deadlift, whether it's a bag of groceries, whether it's your kid, uh, whether it's a kettlebell. Uh, whether it's a barbell, like that is a deadlift. So I think people think a deadlift is synonymous with a very heavy barbell, uh, and 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 that's always the deadlift, and that that is not the case. <laughs> um, so I think once you put that into that context, people start to understand that every day people are deadlifting. They're doing they're doing it probably dozens, if not hundreds, of times a day, uh, just picking up and bending 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 over and picking up stuff off the ground. So I think that's that's the biggest mistake is that people just automatically assume that the, the, the a deadlift is always a heavy barbell. Uh, and you and I both know that that, that that isn't the case. And then why people think it's dangerous, uh, I think, I mean, certainly it, it predisposes the body. To, it, it makes the body pretty vulnerable because if you do it incorrectly, uh, bad things can happen, but that could be the case for any exercise ever. And uh, if you do it incorrectly, if you don't a lot of, if you don't have a lot of experience with it, uh, if you automatically go to the most, uh, advanced version of that exercise, yeah, you, you predispose yourselves to, uh, to an injury likely. Um, however, if you, if, you know, I'd be, if, if it's coached well, if it's progressed accordingly, you, you're pretty slow with your progressive overload. You, you use the appropriate, um, progressions and or regressions with, with an, and, and, and cater to the individual's needs, their goals, their ability level. Um, a lot of cool things can happen too. So yeah, you're right. I think a lot of people think about the deadlift as this, you know, this meathead move where you're just, you know, pulling 600 pounds off the ground when really the deadlift is simply a movement, not necessarily, you know, a weighted barbell exercise. And so if you think about picking your kids up the off the floor or a bag of groceries or just cleaning your house, I mean, you're deadlifting all the time. And if you can get proficient at it with some weight, you're going to be a lot better just doing those day to day deadlifts. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I think this is what makes your series so interesting is that because the deadlift is kind of a common movement, you know, we're all doing it almost every day. Um, people still have this, this interesting idea of the deadlift in their head, and you were able to demystify this particular movement. Were, were there certain techniques or lessons that you did over the course of the 30 days that resonated a lot for certain folks? Uh, yeah, I think uh, some of the bigger ones, to your point, were me saying, uh, you know, a sumo variation or a trap bar variation is not cheating. Uh, I think another uh, another myth 
or fallacy that's that's often seen on the internet is you are cheating the lift if you happen to use a trap bar deadlift or if you do a sumo stance instead of a conventional stance. Um, and that's nonsense. Like that, <laughs> you know, unless you're a competitive powerlifter or a competitive weightlifter, you, you don't have to use a straight bar. You can use a kettlebell, you can use a trap bar, uh, which honestly for the bulk of my clients, the trap bar is home base at all times. Never am I interested in them using a strike bar. It's just the cost, the, the the benefit and the cost is just too much. Like it's just it's not worth worth it to use a straight bar with them. So we're just gonna we're gonna use a trap bar and it's a more user friendly, spine friendly way of deadlifting. So why not use it? Um, so I think people enjoyed that. I kind of gave them permission to be like, oh, okay, yeah, that that makes sense. Um, another thing that I, uh, that resonated with people that I, that I spoke about was even elevating the deadlift. So if they are using a straight bar or even a trap bar, you know, elevating it on plates or blocks where people can get into a better position. So if they, if they are unable to, to, to control their, their spine, uh, and they bend over to, to pick up a barbell off the ground and they run cause it's too low, or maybe they have mobility restrictions, or, or maybe just their, their body type, they're just leverages, they're just, they are unable to, to bend over that low to the floor without sacrificing their, their, their spinal positioning. All right, well, let's elevate the barbell. Let's, let's, let's elevate it to a point where you can get into a good position and not round your spine uh, and then and pull from there. So I think that was another message that, that resonated very well with um, uh, a lot of people who, who took part in the series, who read the series. Yeah, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the difference between using a straight bar and a trap bar because mm -hmm. I, I don't have a lot of experience in the weight room. Uh, I'm not even sure exactly what a trap bar is when you use that term. Can you just briefly go into what the difference is between the two? Yeah, so the trap bar can also be called the, the hex bar, and that's essentially the, the bar where you're, you're standing in the middle of the bar and the handles are at your sides, kind of like you're holding a suitcase. So the advantage of that bar is now that your, your center of mass and your center of gravity is inside the bar, uh, and it's just less spine, spinal stress on the, on the spine as far as the position that you're in. Whereas, comparatively speaking, if you, if you were to deadlift a, a straight bar, uh, the bar's more in front of you, you're further away from the bar, potentially, um, and it could be, it just puts a little bit more shearing uh, uh, force or shearing stress on the spine. Um, so again, the trap bar just tends to be a very, uh, a more user-friendly way of deadlifting for, for many people because they're able to keep a more upright torso. They don't have to bend over as much, uh, and it just puts people in a better position. So, um, does that answer your question, Jason? Does that make sense? Yeah. Especially okay. with you saying that you, you stand kind of inside the bar. So the bar really yeah. isn't a bar. It's more like a, a, bar that's in the shape of a hexagon and you're yeah, kind of in so, the middle of it. Yep. Got and it. And you load the plates on the side and the handles tend to be a little bit more elevated. So you don't have to quite bend over as far to get to the, to get to the, the, the bar itself or the handles itself. So, um, yeah, it just tends to be a very good fit for, for most, uh, athletes and just people in general. 
It sounds like what I'm hearing from you is that variation is okay. So lots oh, of yeah. different types of deadlifts are fine. You're not cheating if you're doing a sumo lift or you're using nope. uh, a hex bar and that there's there's not always one perfect way to lift. There's going to be some individual variations in, yeah. in form and all that. And, and I kind of want to get into this because I think this is a big sticking point among runners. Um, I, I think this is the the obstacle. You know, we often have this mentality that I'm going to get hurt uh, if I don't do strength training correctly. And, you know, frankly, I think running is far more dangerous than lifting weights. You know, it's easy to go out there and run too far or run too fast. And, you know, there's tens of thousands of steps every couple miles and running can be the injury waiting to happen. Um, but I, I also do think that when runners get into the weight room, we're generally a little bit more cautious about throwing huge weight around. Um, you know, we're generally not the ego lifters in, in the gym. Uh, but I'd love your thoughts on on strength training form and this idea of, you know, I have to lift with perfect form. Yeah, I think in the I, – I, I'm with you. First of all, I'm with you. I, I, I've trained uh, numerous runners in my career and part of why I like training runners is because they, they don't have an ego. <laughs> like they're, they're not going to take it as an insult if I tell them to take some weight off the bar and they, they do want to do it correctly and I love that because I do think it's – especially with a deadlift – I do think it's important to that that where form is imperative and, and quality of reps is imperative. Uh, so I do think um, uh, that is something that I'm going to ingrain in, in all my lifters. Is I I definitely want them to master the lift first, make sure that we we have impeccable form, impeccable technique, just to kind of offset any inherent dangers that there may or may not be in the future. I want, like I said, better positions. Uh, they're going to be able to express their strength a little bit better. Um, you know, and then I, I think people have to uh, earn their body English because uh, I do think if, if, if you do go on YouTube, for example, and you watch elite deadlifters, uh, you know, sometimes like you'll see their upper background or, or they might be a little jerky with the weight. Um, it's 700 pounds. Like it's heavy. <laughs> like the, the, the spine is going to move. And I even think Stuart McGill said, has said numerous times, like as much as we talk about spine stability and core strength, that the spine isn't just like set in, in cement. Like it, it's always moving to some uh, variation, uh, even if we do think we're using impeccable techniques. So, um, you know, it, 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 but that being said, uh, in the very beginning stages, whether I'm working with a, a beginner, intermediate lifter, I, I want to make sure that they're they're using as, as good a form as possible, especially with the deadlift. Uh, and then they they kind of have to earn their body English. And I do think it, at some point it does become important to shut up as a coach and let people explore uh, precarious positions where they might get into a bad position and they feel what it feels like to be in a not optimal position and then know how to correct that. So I do think there is some value in allowing people to uh, explore uh, less than perfect positions or less than perfect techniques because then they know how to, to self-correct. Um, and I think that is an, a, an important skill for, for a lifter to learn. Yeah, this reminds me of with running, you know, it's like the runner who tries to run a fast workout the day before their long run. And sometimes you have to learn the hard way that that's only going to make your long run really challenging and not yeah. very fun. So <laughs> yeah. it, it's good to distribute the effort a little bit more during the week. But uh, I'm really interested in this concept that you mentioned of kind of earning the right 
to do things improperly. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because this is really interesting to me. It, it Again, there's so many parallels with running, but, you know, it's almost like, you know, the very experienced, very fit runner can bend and sometimes break some training rules because they have the experience to really know their body and how their body responds to certain amounts of stress. Uh, but I'd love to hear you talk more about it from a strength training perspective. Well, I, I think the, it's just the same parallel with strength and conditioning. I think the more experience a lifter has, uh, the more time under the bar uh, a lifter has, uh, the more they're able to get away with those precarious positions that I talked about earlier, where they might get into less than optimal position, but because they they know what it feels like and they know how to self correct, um, they're not they're probably not going to get hurt. Like I do think that the stronger an individual gets, the more they're going to be playing around or, or going to that threshold of end ranges of motion with, within certain joints. Um, again, using an example of when people watch elite deadlifters deadlift and they're lifting 600, 700, 800 pounds and they see their, their, their upper back rounding. Um, yeah, it's rounding, but they're, they're staying out of end range. Like they're not, they're not even close to, uh, coming to hurt themselves. So again, I think much like your analogy with runners learning how to use less than great technique, but, but are still able to self-correct the same applies with, uh, in the strength and conditioning realm. Like I think the more experience you have, um, and let's be honest too, like I, I, to me, this is my own personal opinion. I think, um, using impeccable technique and an impeccable form on everything at all times is only going to take you so far. And I do think we get the internet in particular tends to get a little bit overzealous with that theme. Um, uh, for example, a couple weeks ago, uh, during Thanksgiving break, my wife and I went home, uh, we, the day after Thanksgiving, uh, we went and met up with a few friends in my alma mater and we did like this, this, the epitome of a meathead workout. Uh, it was like high reps, like bodybuilding, bicep curls, like chest presses. It was a really fun workout. It's exactly what we needed after eating a lot of pie for a whole day. Um, and I posted a video of my wife and I doing this arm finisher where we, we did, uh, bicep curls with a barbell for six reps. And then we would walk with the barbell with our arms bent at 90 degrees for 20 yards, do six reps at the other end and walk back. It was an, it was an awesome drill, awesome workout. And, uh, I posted a video of, of us doing that, that exercise and uh, on Instagram stories, by, uh, by the way, and I, um, I had somebody uh, make a comment of, uh, oh, well, if, if there's no full elbow extension and, and there's, there, there's body English, it doesn't even count as a, as a bicep curl. Um, and I wanted it, and I responded with like, the, I didn't get snippy with the person, but I, I responded, I was like, you do realize this is a bicep curl. <laughs> uh, and it was, it, was, it was, we were just having fun with friends. And, um, you took time out of your day to just like, to, to, to troll me on a bicep curl. Like that, let's just, let's just make this readily apparent. I, this, this wasn't a video on bicep curl technique and nowhere did I say, this is how you do a proper bicep curl. Um, and, and I'm, and literally this was just like a, a finisher exercise that we were doing with a bunch of friends and we we're having fun. Um, 
and and he he came back he's like oh I no disrespect but you know you have a big following and you know I think it's it's important that you 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 post videos that are that 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 demonstrate proper technique and I was like yeah I agree but again nowhere did I say that this was a, an exercise on proper technique like we literally we were just having fun and we were it was the end of a, a it was a finisher like it was just what I, that is what it was now if I were if I were talking about a deadlift or a squat. Um, of course, I would probably be a little bit more strict on my on what videos I put up on, on the internet. But um, I do think it, at some point, like people get too caught up on impeccable form, impeccable technique. And this is not to downplay. I do think it's important, especially in the beginning stages. If I'm if I'm teaching somebody how to how to lift properly, um, but I do think at some point it is going to become a limiting factor in, in terms of uh, getting stronger, putting on mass. I mean, it's just. I mean, being strict with your technique, like with a bicep curl or a row, um, or even, and yes, we could even make a case with it with a deadlift and a squat. Um, it, it is going to limit you at some point, uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I think hopefully you're picking up what I'm putting down here. Yeah, um, it's it's like runners who <clears throat> who overthink how their foot lands on the ground. Yes, you know? Oh, yeah. should I should I be a heel striker or a midfoot striker or a forefoot striker? I read Born to Run by Christopher McDougall, and now I'm running in five fingers all the time because uh, you know I have to be landing on my midfoot all the time. Never mind that you know 38 year old Boston Marathon winner Meb Keflazigi has a heel strike and. You know, you think that a high mileage marathoner who's admittedly not exactly in the prime of his life uh, physically would have injury problems being a heel striker. And that's simply not the case because it's a little bit more detailed than that. And it's more complex. And also it's it's not as clear cut as heel striking bad, forefoot striking good. You know, there's some nuance there. And much of that same nuance, I think, is is within uh, strength training and knowing when you can bend some of those rules. I think that's that's important to know. And, and I think just you know listening to your answer there, um, you know runners have to understand that if they want to get uh, a lot stronger, there's a lot of gains to be made just from consistency in the weight room. And that once you are consistently getting stronger, those uh, uh, potential injuries that you might get from say not having exactly perfect form are going to be diminished because you have that foundation of strength already built up. Well, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I also think uh, as far as that earning, earning your body English or earning the right to, to, to use body English, the same could be said for, I mean, they're uses, using this as an example. I can't tell you how many times I I've had a client let's just say we're doing, we'll, we'll, Pick an exercise. It could be deadlift, squat, a bench press, whatever. And they're they're doing it with a certain amount of weight. We add five pounds, and all of a sudden, it just goes to shit. Like their technique goes away. It's just just that added five pounds, and they're like, "What the heck happened? Like, what happened?" And I'll say, "Well, we we need to do more reps at the at the previous weight to earn the right to put more weight on the bar." If that makes any sense. So it's like they hadn't they haven't done enough repetitions. At that at that previous weight to earn the right to put more weight on the bar. So I, I I do think there's also this mindset that you know we have to put more weight on the bar each week and every week and that's just the way it is. And I would I would disagree with that. I think to me easy training is good training. Uh, and I do think more often than not we need to build strength, not test it. Uh, and sometimes people for some people they're going to be sticking with the same weight for numerous weeks. 
and, and to the point where the, the effort at that, at that specific load feels um, easier. Like that is progress as well. So I think we also get in our mindset that in order to make progress, we have to do more sets or more weight, more volume, where I would argue that progress is also the feel of a certain load, like making a certain load like feel uh, easier or with less effort. Um, that is also progress. So sometimes we also we have to earn the right to add weight to the bar as well. Uh, and a lot of times it's just a matter of like, no, like we're not we're not going to add five or ten pounds on the bar because you haven't done enough enough repetitions with this certain weight to even make it. Number one, have it actually look good, but also have just the effort involved there. I want to make that feel easier from a rate of perceived exertion standpoint. Uh, and then when we get to a certain point, then we can we can increase weight on the bar. You could just substitute mileage for weight uh, yeah, there. Exactly, and yeah, exactly. It's a lot exactly, of analogies here. Yeah. Right. It's exactly the same. You know, you don't necessarily have to run higher mileage. You just need more time at that same mileage level uh, because that in itself can be a personal best. You know, you, you might have never run more than 50 miles in a week, but maybe if you run 50 miles a week for an entire month, that's a new monthly uh, personal best for mileage. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's very similar. It's, you know, it's, it's becoming very comfortable with a certain mileage level so that you can then push past it later on when you're physically ready for it. Yeah. Um, Tony, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about, uh, strength training as a corrective tool. Uh, so mm -hmm. in other words, can, can lifting, uh, fix problems? And, and I guess I'll give you a little bit of context there because I know this is a loaded question, but, um, I think it's counterintuitive that this can be true or, or we can use lifting to fix problems. And I want your perspective on that. Um, cause I think a lot of people think that, you know, we need to be perfectly symmetrical or, you know, we can't have any kind of limitations before, you know, we start strength training. So how can, how can we use strength work to fix some of those asymmetries or, you know, some of those issues we might have? Well, I would I would make a, a case, and I would argue that where the human body is, is it, asymmetry is normal, uh, like that, it, it is not a bad thing. And having asymmetry is just a part of being a human being in everyday life. Um, I know when I when I present with my buddy Dean Somerset for the um, uh, hip and shoulder blueprint, we spend a good portion of the first day uh, proving or, or making our case that uh, people have different pelvis structure, people have different anatomy, they have different leverages, it's, 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 um, nothing is set in stone, uh, and that asymmetry is actually normal, and a lot of times we might be causing more harm by forcing people into a symmetrical stance when they squat or deadlift than to actually um, set them up in a way that, that, that um, uh, coincides with their individual anatomy. So w w a good example for that being, uh, you know, a lot of textbooks will say when we squat, for example, we need to have a squared stance or a hip width stance and the toes have to point straight ahead at all times. Uh, most people don't have that anatomy. I would say the bulk of people don't have that anatomy. We have, we have hip sockets that point in different directions. We have pelvises that are different, that are narrower or wide. We have femoral necks that might be long or short. We have femoral heads that might be pointing in different directions. Everybody is different. Um, and sometimes, like, someone's going to – their right foot might want to be more uh, – 
toes out than the other. Sometimes a more stagger, a slightly more stagger stance will, will feel more comfortable. So if I can find a position where it feels better, uh, they feel more stable, they feel more powerful, why would I not want to use that? And I, and, and I get it. Like when, we, when we discuss this with fitness professionals, uh, they're like, it's like, it's like you could just, you could see their brains melting. It's like, oh my god, like what? Are, they're telling me that this goes against everything I've been told for my entire career. Um, but we, that's why we we show uh, actual skeletons and actual diagrams of and actual research that shows that there, even uh, even among homogenous um, uh, populations, that there's many variances in in, in skeletal structure and anatomy. So um, when we when we use that, and then we actually have people play around with using a, an asymmetrical stance or a stagger stance or toes out or whatever, um, and they actually feel it that it's, that certain positions feel better, uh, that, that it doesn't hurt, uh, it, it just drives home the point even more. Um, so yeah, in in that sense, like I do think we've been programmed to think that oh we're asymmetrical, we have to fix this, I'm broken. Whereas when I now when I when I do an assessment with with anyone, I just say yeah that's cool. Everyone's different. Like we're now now my job as your coach is to come up with exercises and positions that are just going to try to match your anatomy um, and then try to make things not hurt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I I call it a trainable menu, which is a term that I, I stole from strength coach strength coach Chris Chase, uh, and it's such a brilliant term because I think. Um, People just think, oh, well, I'm asymmetrical or this hurts or that hurts. I'm dysfunctional. Um, where I would say, like, no, we just, we, we're going to find your trainable menu. We're going to find what doesn't hurt. We're going to find what you can do. And we're going to hammer those things. Like, that is your program. Um, and it, just that little reframe uh, really kind of sets off a light bulb in a lot of people. And, and, they, and they say and it, just, it, just, it just drives on the point that we – you can train around anything. Like, don't get me wrong. There are many people that come to me who, who are injured. Like, they might have a, a banged up shoulder, or their lower back hurts, or they might be coming off of knee surgery, or whatever. And that is valid. Like, I, we need to figure out ways of, of, of training around that, or maybe even addressing muscular imbalances, or, or what have you. Um, however, uh, finding that trainable menu to the point where people don't feel like a patient and they're not just, you're not just corrective exercising them to death, uh, where we're actually just, we're going to train, uh, and we're, and we're going to, we're, we're going to try to set you up for as much success as possible right out of the gate. And I think, um, if, if that's the approach that you take as a coach, uh, I think, uh, it, it, it just, it just, it just sets it sets them up for success more in the long run, um, and it's just it's just a different tone that I feel like people are more accepting towards uh, than just think, oh, I'm just this broken ball of failure and of dysfunction. And I guess I gotta I gotta fix this. Um, whereas it's like, no, a lot of it's normal. Um, we're we're meant to be asymmetrical, but let let's let's run with it and try to try to put you in positions that are going to feel better. Now, how does an individual who's in the gym by themselves, they don't have you next to them coaching them, how do they differentiate or find the balance between 
a slightly asymmetrical position that might work really well for their unique body uh, and that they, you know, feel the best in versus, you know, further exacerbating an asymmetry or creating an even worse imbalance? Is there is there a way for someone to know the difference between the two or or how to lean more towards just a more comfortable position? Uh, I mean, outside of doing uh, like a hip scar, like I don't have x-ray vision, so it's not like I can look at somebody and be like, yeah, you have a, an antiverted hip. Um, I, I can't I, – all I can do is me personally do a hip scar on a table and just try to see what their, what their anatomy is telling me. But taking that out of the equation, um, what can people do in the gym to kind of figure that out for themselves? It's just experiment and explore. Um, the easiest – exercise to do this with is the squat. So I would encourage people if they're doing a goblet squat or a front squat or maybe even a back squat is to play around with with stance width. Try a narrow stance, try a slightly wider stance, try an even wider stance, then play around with toe position, out toe out toe both feet, maybe out toe your right more than your left or out toe your left more than your right and maybe even stagger stagger your stances and just try to see what position feels better um and you and and, and people it, it's just a process of elimination um you know it is it, it, pretty profound on what when i when i give people permission to do that they're going to find a position that feels like oh my god that feels that feels amazing then i was like okay well let's run with that uh and to me that that isn't that isn't feeding dysfunction per se that's just that's that's probably just taking their anatomy into consideration um, and we're gonna we're gonna train with that now. What are we gonna do? What can we do uh, other uh, and other aspects that are gonna kind of like maybe play with that asymmetry a little bit? And that's where single leg work comes into play. That's where like all of our other accessory work comes into play. So you know, for those people who are like, well, you're just feeding the dysfunction, you're feeding the asymmetry. You know, I don't think doing three, four, or five sets of squats in the asymmetrical stance is going to make people's hips explode. You know, but that is why we do other exercises. You know, we're, we're doing single leg work um, that are going to put people in different positions. And, you know, that's why we train different planes of motion. And we, we, we get people out of sagittal plane and do more frontal plane work or do more lateral work. Um, that's the reason why we do those. Um, so, again, I don't, I don't think training in asymmetrical stance is bad for people. Um, but if people do think that way, then that's, that's the reason why we do all this other stuff as well. You know, I'm someone who has to squat with a slightly asymmetrical stance because my right foot points out a little bit more than my left. Yeah. And yeah. if I were to try to get my feet pointing straight ahead, you know, at the same time, it's like, well, my bone structure isn't the same in my right leg and my uh, as my left leg and if i were to try to do that you know it, it's almost like my right hip is, is just feeling impinged and i need yeah. to you know just keep it open a little bit more so that i get that full squat in and i'm i'm glad to hear that i'm not you know doing myself a big disservice uh, by doing that and you know adding in some pistol squats for example it might be a nice way to uh you know even out any of the slight sure. asymmetries i sure. might have I mean, I think you, you, you said it yourself, like it, it doesn't feel good when you squat a certain way. Uh, so why continue doing that? And if another way feels better, then do that. But then you again, you hit the nail on the head again, where it's like, well, I'll add in some pistol squats and that's going to quote unquote put me in a symmetrical stance. Uh, and then we, we can train that too. So um, 
they're all good. They're all, <laughs> that's why I tell people like, we're going to train everything. Like, you know, there's, there's, we, we train bilateral, we train unilateral, we train low bar, we train high bar, we train it, it, sumo we, and conventional. Like we use it all. Um, you know, it's, it, that's why it just boggles my mind when, my mind when people and coaches like pigeonhole themselves and they're like, Oh, it has to be this one thing for everyone. I'm like, well, no, everyone's different. So shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you helped uh, earlier this year with uh, some work I was doing on squats and I wanted to bring more detail about the exercise to my audience. And, and I put together a video with all these different squat variations. And uh, so thanks so much for, for your yeah, help. Yeah, my there. pleasure. Now, are there any examples where just more strength training is the cure for whatever is bothering you? Because I'm reminded in running, you know, I, you know, the running is, is a sport that, you know, when you have some issues, the answer is just, you just need to run more. Um, so shin splints is a really good example. They're kind of this pseudo injury that's usually more common in beginners. And, uh, the very basic solution is to simply continue running consistently. And yeah. usually the runner will adjust and adapt and the shin splints will almost always go away. So the answer isn't necessarily compression socks or doing some weird exercise before you go running. It's just more running done in a safe, consistent, progressive way. Are there any analogies like that in strength and conditioning? Oh, man, that's a good question. That's a loaded one. Uh, you know, to me, like the... The responsible strength coach in me would say, look, okay, well, if something hurts, then we're either overstepping our bounds with either we're doing something that isn't the right fit from an exercise standpoint, or maybe we're being too aggressive with total volume, um, which I, which to that point, I think uh, training volume is a very underappreciated factor on why people are hurt. Like, you know, again, I know you and I are kind of bridging this gap with the strength and tra strength and conditioning and running. Um, I think you would agree that if, uh, um, if, if, a, if a runner uh, is too aggressive with their, with their, with their increases in running volume um, or mileage, uh, the answer is going to be, well, let's, let's tone back your mileage a little bit and, and build up that strength there. And then, then, then we can go back to that, that, that increasing your mileage point. Um, same thing with strength and conditioning. A lot of times if I, if I see a, um, a running trend or a theme of someone always getting or someone getting hurt or their shoulder hurts or their lower back hurts. To me, I, I I'll have to audit the volume. I'll say, well, obviously somewhere here we're, we're we're overstepping your your capacity or your threshold to tolerate this much stress. We have to we have to back it up a little bit. We have to pump the brakes a little bit. Um, your rule of thumb usually is like 10% increases each week, um, which I think in the running world is almost is almost the same as well. Very similar, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times I will just look at training volume and cause I mean, I don't want people just like, okay, we're just gonna, we're just gonna squat through it. Um, like me, that might've been something I would have said very early in my career, but with, with experience, I try to look at it in more like, okay, well, obviously something is awry here. Like something's off. Um, but let's look at your technique. Let's look at the volume and see, see if we can, uh, uh, fix something. Um, I think, I think too, is something to consider is like the difference between, um, pain and, and, and soreness. You know, I mean, that could be a thing where at that, you know, sometimes people just, they're not used to being sore and they, they think that something is hurt and it's like, well, no, that's just, that's just soreness. Like we can, we can train through that. And a lot of times I'll have to have a, a discussion on like, 
like on a scale of one to 10, 10 being like absolute excruciating pain and one being no big deal, where are you at? And if they say it's like a three, I'm just like, okay, well, we, we, we can we can train through that. But if they say it's an eight, then I then I kind of I have to respect that. Like I have to then okay then I'm gonna I'm gonna dig a little bit deeper. Um, so uh, again, I, I think that might have answered your question. I think it, I think my my true answer is it depends. <laughs> um, as as far as like do I want somebody to train through uh, pain? Uh, I think it's just a matter of um, figuring out if, if it actually is pain. Um, is it a technique issue? Is it a volume issue? Um, is it an exercise issue? Just maybe the the exercise variation we're using is too advanced for them. So let's 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 back that up a little bit. Or or is it just soreness? And if it's just soreness, yeah, we can absolutely train through that. Yeah, I, it's funny. I get a lot of runners who will mention something like, "Oh, my current injury is a sore hip," and you know I have to dig a little deeper there because soreness isn't really an injury. You know that just kind of comes with the territory. If you're training for a marathon, you're you're going to be sore. It's just kind of the uh, you know comes with the comes with the. I always the game. use a yeah. I always use a um, a term where, I, especially when in this in the strength and conditioning realm. When someone says like, "Oh, you know, this is sore, or this is a little off," and I was like, "Well, you know, lifting weights isn't supposed to tickle. Uh, you know, there, there's going to be some level of discomfort at some point. <laughs> like, you're gonna, yeah." So, so to that end, and, I'm gonna have to steal that, part, Tony. As far as this part of the discussion, like, yes, there's there's going to be a, a degree of discomfort involved. I mean, that's just the name of the game. However. Um, that's why, again, it just comes down to people being able to differentiate between something like I'm in pain, this hurts. Like, obviously I don't want that to be a thing. Um, and then being just uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, I, I always tell my clients like, Hey, this isn't supposed to tickle. Like, let's go. Come on. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely you know, stealing that. I'm using yeah, that free, with yeah, running from now on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's true. Like, I mean, and if you, and to me, like if putting it in that context it kind of it's not being a, a, a jerk about it like but it is kind of you're, you're kind of having fun like you know it's like el it's like nudge nudge elbow elbow like come on let's go um and i think it, 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 most people will respond well to that little phrase it's like okay i'm being i'm kind of being wimpy let's let's get after it but if, if they're hurt they're hurt and that that is, that is something that i'm i'm, I'm going to respect and, and and dig a little deeper on yeah that reminds me when i was in high school our team cheer before a cross-country race was Grimace. Now, part of that was because uh, we had stolen a life-size cutout of Grimace from a McDonald's and we had him in our locker room. But the other reason was because, you know, we knew that the race was going to hurt. It wasn't going to tickle. And then we were going out there and we were going to Grimace and suffer through the next you know, 16, 18 minutes of racing and gut through it. But that's running and, you know, that's part of weightlifting too. You know what, Jason? Uh, a fun Tony fact is I, I ran cross country for one year in high school. Oh my goodness, you're a runner. <laughs> I love it. So I don't know I don't know how many people know that, but that yeah, that I ran cross country my sophomore year in high school. I only did it one year. I was like, yeah, I'm done with that. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. You're former cross country runner, now you're deadlifting yeah. like five hundred and eighty yeah. pounds. I was actually, you know, I wasn't too bad. I, I ran J V. Uh, and I think in, in our in our championships that fall, I think I I, I was in I finished in the top ten. I was like seventh, so I actually I actually wasn't too bad. But I but yeah, like the grim I can definitely commiserate with the with the whole grimace uh, uh, thing. Yeah, it was not fun. Apologies to McDonald's for that story. 
All right, Tony, uh, this this was a lot of fun for me. I, I enjoyed learning more about the deadlift and the nuance behind it so that, you know, when, when I get in the weight room and, and our runners are getting in the weight room, they can uh, have a little bit more context around that really important lift and also just rest easy knowing that nobody is symmetrical, uh, that, you know, you don't have to have absolutely perfect form. You can move, you know, kind of within a certain set of parameters to find what works best for you. Um, now, I know a lot of folks are probably going to want to check out your 30 days of deadlift series. Uh, I went through it the other day and, and found it really helpful, even for someone who doesn't deadlift, you know, extremely regularly. Um, but where can folks find that if they want to check it out? They will be Instagram. They might, they might have to dig a little bit, but if they, if they scroll back on my Instagram account, they, they're all on there. Um, they could also go to tnation.com. They um, they posted uh, they they took all 30 days and made it a three part article series. They did days one through 10, um, 10, 10 through 20, and and or, and then 20 through 30. So you could go um, to tnation.com and, and search for 30 days of deadlift under my name, and they'll be there as well. Awesome. Now, of course, your website too is tonygentlecore.com. Yep. Wonderful. There we go. Tony, thanks again for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Tony. I hope you're able to pull one or two, maybe more, golden nuggets from this conversation and apply them to your training and prosper. If you want help prospering, don't miss our series on weightlifting at strengthrunning.com strength. It's the year of strength after all, and I hope you'll give yourself every advantage before we head into 2019. If you have any questions about this topic, what I do at Strength Running, or you just want to wave hi, don't hesitate to email me at support at strengthrunning.com. Finally, our sponsor, SteadyMD, helped make this show possible, and I want to give them a virtual high five through my microphone right now. They're a more personalized form of primary care physician just for runners. It's led by sub-3 marathoner Dr. Josh Emder, and the entire premise is that if you have a doctor who understands runners and training and injuries, and that doctor is also more available to you via text, video, or phone than a typical doctor— you're going to get better care, and you're also going to get more out of your running with fewer injuries. Check out what they do at steadymd.com strengthrunning. They've put together a page with their pricing, all the benefits you can expect by having a physician who's also a runner himself, and you can also see some of the elite runners that they're currently working with. That's steadymd.com strengthrunning to see all the details. That's it for me today, guys. Until next time, run strong.